say hello. Welcome back, creeps. Eh, pero breakups. Right on. Alright. Have you got any news for us? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Wait, was I supposed to have something? Wait, there was something that we were supposed to talk about today. Like at the, I was like, wait, 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 let's leave it for the show. I can't remember what it was. Do you? Um. Remember it was on a car ride to work? No, I can't remember. Are you talking about like our little trip to the witch's grave? I think so. Maybe. Oh, yeah. We saw the witch's grave. And Katie. Yeah. So I guess we do have news. Yeah. Um, can you, do you actually know the story about it? Because I don't. Um, no. Good, good. Off to a good start. <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. Yeah. All right. All right, y'all. So my story this week, um, I'm going to cite my sources uh, Crime Reads, Wikipedia, Smithsonian Magazine. Okay? Okay. All right. So, we're talking about a family in the 1800s that settled into Kansas, specifically Labette County. So, this family is John, the father, who was in his 60s, Elvira, 55, his wife, and their two kids, John Jr., who is 25, and Kate, who is 23. What was the mom's name again? Elvira? Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. This starts out with John and John Jr. arriving in October 1870 uh, in Kansas. So the surname for the family is the Benders. <laughs> nice. Bender, I hardly even knew her. So the Benders applied and were granted 160 acres of land near the Great Osage Trail, which at the time was the only open road for traveling west. The ladies of the family arrived at the newly erected cabin in 1871. The cabin was divided by a wagon cover. So the front half of the cabin was used as a general storefront and a stop-in kitchen for travelers. They also had a barn with a corral outside, um, a vegetable garden, and an apple orchard. Travelers could also spend the night. So this was eventually known as Bender Inn. So the family was either Dutch or German. The father, the senior, John Sr., spoke very little English. He was said to have been really rude and ill-tempered, as was his wife, <laughs> with the rudeness and the poor English. So just a pair of ourselves. Yeah. Elvira was said to have two previous husbands before John Sr., and they'd mysteriously died. In total, Elvira had somewhere around 12 to 15 children. Jesus Christ. 
John Jr. was reported to be a dummy <laughs> or a halfwit. Kate was, the way she was described was like a Western hippie to me. Self-proclaimed healer, spiritualist, advocated free love when it came to doing her brother. Uh, what? Very Game of Thrones. She offered her services around town, her healing services. Oh. And that was basically what attracted foot traffic into the inn was their, that was like their attraction. You know, they would like, come out there to get healed from whatever. Yeah, basically. Because she was so different. They were like, oh, let's go hit a bender inn and have weird conversations with this girl. Hmm. Right. So in this area, like random dead bodies started popping up. In May 1871, the body of a man was found. His head was crushed and his throat was slit southeast of the Bender property. February 18th, 72, two more men were found with the same injuries, head crushed and throat slit. Okay. By the fall of 18... Oh. By the fall of 1872, (laughs) travelers who took the Osage Trail were just they just started disappearing like bunches of them yeah once word got out like hey man careful about that osage trail people started disappearing you know a lot of people just started using that trail less and less word got out that there was some bad yeah bad vibes word got out you take that trail ain't never ain't never no one (laughs) gonna (laughs) see you again (laughs) Among the disappearances was a guy called George Newton Lanker and his 18-month-old baby, Mary Ann. They set for Iowa and they decided to take, well, I guess he decided because she doesn't decide anything, (laughs) um, to take the Osage Trail, but they never made it to Iowa. Dr. William Henry York was Lanker's former neighbor, so he en- he ended up selling Lanker his horses and the wagons that he used to travel. And word eventually got back to him that they found these things abandoned along the trail. So he was like, I'm going to go look for my friend. That's a good neighbor. I know. We don't even know our neighbors' names. <laughs> so his search started in 1873. He started questioning anyone along the trail that led to the site of the abandoned wagon. So like up until where they found the wagon, like he was like, I'm going to question everyone from point A to point B. Right. And he ended up stopping at Bender Inn and he disappeared. Hmm. See, York, though, came from a family with connections. The doctor. Yeah, Dr. York. And his two brothers were Colonel York Colonel Ed York, and his other brother was Alexander M. York of the Kansas State Senate. They organized a 75-man search party for Dr. York. So, they're like, nah, man, that's our brother. Yeah, something ain't right. Yep. So, Colonel York led the search, and he eventually 
arrived at Bender Inn himself in March 1873. The family denied having ever met Dr. York. Colonel York returned to Bender Inn on April 3, 1873, after hearing about a woman who fled that establishment because Elvira had threatened her with guns and knives, she said. So, at first, it seemed that Elvira didn't understand English, like what Colonel York was asking her. Okay. You know, when she was being questioned by him. Yeah. And she just lost her temper during the conversation. And in near perfect English, started yelling that the woman had cursed her coffee and proceeded to kick the search party out of the end. Now, what she meant by cursing her coffee, I don't know if she was like cursed it because you know she was serving her terrible coffee or that she was like i'm gonna put a curse on this coffee that you're drinking i don't know i would imagine it was that the coffee was so bad that she was like oh what is this shit but how bad does coffee have to be in 1873 for someone to kick up a fuss over bad coffee that's true must have been awful i imagine it might have been just like undrinkable yeah sludge yeah like it's not even drinking coffee anymore. It's like you're eating your coffee. Be like so thick and sludgy. Or it wasn't even coffee. And the lady was like, what kind of coffee is this? <laughs> and she's like, oh, you asked for coffee? I thought you meant mud. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Kate later approached Colonel York and offered her psychic services to help him find his brother if he returned that Friday night. Because she was like, okay... Let me try to like... Um, Kate's the daughter, right? Yeah, Kate's the daughter. She was like, all right, you know, like y'all ha- y'all duked it out. Y'all are arguing. She was trying to like diffuse the situation. Was like, hey, you know, I'll help you out, dude. Just come back Friday night. It's like, all right, bet. Around the same time, though, the local township held a meeting with the Bender men in attendance about the disappearances that were happening around the Osage Trail. And it concluded that any and all properties between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek Drum Creek would be searched and Bender Inn fell in that area. So their shit was about to get yeah. turned around. Right after this, like maybe like two days had passed before anyone noticed that the, that the Bender property lay abandoned. The property was searched and then torn apart after noticing a bad smell coming from underneath one of the beds where they found a trap door nailed shut. Oh, shit. In the trap door, they found an empty room and it stunk like gross. (laughs) (laughs) So it was this tiny little room that was like six feet high, seven inches wide. Seven inches wide. I mean, seven feet <laughs> wide. And it they had, it was like a stone floor. Yeah. And underneath the stones, because they had picked it apart, um, the, the soil underneath was like thick and soaked with blood. And that's where the bad smell was coming from. Maybe that was the coffee you almost drinking. Ah, uh, maybe. So anyways, um... 
They searched the orchard and the vegetable garden, and that's where they found Dr. York's body and 10 other bodies. Wow. And another grave with various body parts that didn't belong to the 10 bodies they found. Oh, what the fuck? Just random bo- body yeah. parts, not even whole bodies. Yeah. All the bodies that they did find had the same injuries of the broken skull and the slit, slit throat. throat. With the exception of Marianne, which, by the way, they found in the same shallow grave that they found Dr. York in. Who's Marianne? The 18-month baby. 18-month-old baby. Yeah. She didn't have any signs of trauma on her. So they figured that she was... I, she either they either suffocated her or she was likely buried buried alive some of the bodies also had genital mutilation gross strange right yeah so they figured out the method because there was actually some survivors that had visited the bender inn and ended up escaping the method that they used to kill people the family The victims would sit at the dining table in a chair that sat with its back to the room divider. Oh, because it was just canvas? It was, yeah, it was just a wagon cover. Right. And someone with a hammer, most likely one of the men, would be behind the room divider and he would knock out the victim. Then one of the ladies would slit their throat to ensure that their victim was dead then they'd open the trap door to drop the body in there and in that room they would strip the body of valuables and their clothes and they would you know dismember it yeah or mutilate it or whatever they felt like doing that day the theory was that the benders enjoyed killing because all of their victims had Hardly any valuables on them to take. Weird. Yeah. So money was definitely not... Um, Their goal. Yeah. It kind of sounds like a like an old-timey Firefly family from House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm. Like, I was already picturing Sherry Moon zombie as... Was it Kate? Kate. The hippie uh, girl. Oh, yeah. I can <laughs> see that. Yeah. Well, she does her brother. Which, by the way... Yeah, I'll tell you later. Okay. Also, big surprise, Bender wasn't anyone's real surname. Oh, what an odd name to pick then. Yeah. So, like I mentioned before about the survivors, I have a few testimonies. Well, okay, so testimonies from people who had stayed at the Bender's Inn and had managed to escape before they could be killed appear to support the presumed execution method of the Bender's. William Pickering said that when he refused to sit near the wagon cloth because of the stains on it. <laughs> what the fuck? He was threatened with a knife by Kate Bender, whereupon he fled the premises. A Catholic priest claimed to have seen one of the Bender men concealing a large hammer, at which he became uncomfortable and quickly departed. I wonder how big the hammer was and how he was trying to conceal it. <laughs> well, I would imagine if it was... The younger Bender, he was probably doing it very poorly. 
just taking this here hammer behind this here canvas sheet. Yeah. Like you probably try to use it to comb his hair or some yeah. weird shit. Just hammering some chicken. <laughs> Two men who had traveled to the inn to experience Kate Bender's psychic powers stayed on for dinner but had refused to sit at the table next to the cloth, instead preferring to eat their meal at the main shop counter. Kate then became abusive toward them and a short while later, the two Bender men emerged from behind the cloth. At this point, the customers began to feel uneasy and decided to leave, a move that almost certainly saved their lives. So that's how they figured the method of killing. So where were these people before? Like, they just didn't report anything until after the Benders had fled? Well, see, I imagine that they were travelers, that they didn't really live in that county. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, passing through. Yeah. So that's why I think that's why they got away with it for so long. You know, because you could say that they could have got held up by Native Americans or. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was like the harsh terrain. Whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. They could have gotten cholera or whatever fucking disease that they say on the Oregon Trail game. Yeah, typhoid. Yeah, dysentery or some shit. So Senator, Senator York and I wrote the governor of Kansas offered huge rewards. Governor. <laughs> for the apprehension of the benders. Some reports say John Jr. and Kate fled to Texas or New Mexico. You can probably guess that because their last names weren't benders. They probably weren't a family. Um, and they certainly were not brother and sister. They were actually married couple. Anyway, some say that John Jr. died of apoplexy. 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 I like popcorn because it goes pop, 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 pop. I forgot where that come from. <laughs> Comment down below if you know where it is. If you know where it's from. <laughs> um, I don't know below what because this is on Spotify and other stuff. But anyways, John Sr. and Elvira probably fled to Missouri. And they figured this because uh, they followed their trail all the way into train station. And they were all on the train. Like they all bought tickets at that train station, but they all went in different directions. Yeah, that's how they figured that one pair went one side and the other went to the opposite right, right. side. Anyways, several people were arrested as suspects, but ultimately they did not pay for their crimes. The body count that they've accumulated is actually suspected to be in the 20s. Um, as of February 2020, the land that they owned in Kansas is up for sale. Oh, no way. Yeah. So the only arrests that they really made that were related to the benders, because they actually had helpers that would help them dispose of any sort of evidence or whatever. Oh. I know. So several weeks after the discovery of the bodies on the Bender property, Addison Roach and his son-in-law, William Buxton, were arrested as accessories. In total, 12 men of 
bad repute in general, would be arrested. All had been involved in disposing of the victim's stolen goods with uh, Mitt Cherry, who was a member of the Vigilance Committee, which who is supposed to be like watching out for these disappearances or whatever, like the people that are missing, um, implicated for forging a letter from one of the victims informing the man's wife that he had arrived safely at his destination in Illinois. Brockman would be arrested again 23, 23 years later for the rape and murder of his own 18-year-old daughter. Jesus. So they were just bad people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my story about right. the bloody benders. That's pretty cool. Some old-timey crimey. Mm-hmm. I feel like shit was just so much easier back then, you know? To get away with, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck it. Yeah. Killed three people. Let's just go to the next town over. Mm-hmm. Change my name. PJ O'Brien it is. Okay, well, my story is also kind of old-timey. I guess it starts around the same time. What what years were you? What was yours? 1870. Oh, yeah, mine begins in, I think, 1792. So I have lots of sources this week, and instead of reading them out, because, like I said, there's quite a few, I'm just going to put them in the show notes. Show notes. Yeah. So my story is about a haunted house. Sick. But not just any haunted house. The haunted house. Possibly the most famous house in all of America. Is it the Whaley House? No. Is it the... It's named after its color. The Red House? The White House. Oh. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I didn't know it was haunted. Oh, you're about to know. George Washington... Was the first president. The man with the wood teeth, right? Um, I've heard different stories about his teeth. Some say they were actually slaves' teeth. That's fucking insane. Yeah, that might be a lie. I'm not sure. So anyway, I didn't look into that. But anyway, he was the first president, but he's actually the only president who didn't live in the White House. So anyway, in 1791, he chose the site where the White House would be. And bought it off some guy called Mr. Burns. Montgomery Burns? Uh, no. But they held, some newspaper at the time held a competition, which is what they just used to do back in the day. I remember from reading The Devil in the White City that, like, this is how architects won their... Like like, their contracts? Yeah, some of the time. Anyway, this chap from Ireland... Submitted his plans, which were inspired by Leinster House, which is still where the Irish Parliament um, meets today. And he won. Yep. John Adams, which is, I think, the second president, was the first person to actually live there. But the house still wasn't finished when him and his wife moved in. During the War of 1812, which actually went on until 1815... It was just named 1812. The British set fire to the president's house in 1814. And apparently some of the walls still show evidence of this fire. Really? Like scorch marks and stuff. Yeah, but I don't know how true that is because like paint the fucking walls. (laughs) Hmm. Anyway, uh, James Hoban was appointed to rebuild the house. Just the same architect again. Oh, yeah. And he also built the two porticos. Like basically the two porches 
So originally it was just a big like rectangle. Like those what you immediately think of, like the big porches or whatever, the balconies and shit. They weren't even on the house until like years later. Do I they have pictures of like the old White House? I'm sure there's drawings of it. Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. I didn't look it up. But yeah, I'm sure they do. 1902, Roosevelt renovated the place. But by the late 40s, it was actually falling down. Like on the inside and stuff. So the exterior walls are the only original things about the the White House. When you say the 40s... Are you talking about the 1840s? No, 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 1940s. Mm. Uh, so in 1902, Roosevelt renovated. Oh, sorry. Okay. No, it's okay. But yeah, anyway, I just thought that was interesting that the whole interior is completely... It's like a bionic house now. Yeah, basically. <laughs> there are 132 rooms, 35 bathrooms, six levels in the residence. Because there's... Like the West Wing and the East Wing, I don't think. I think they're just offices, I think. There are also 412 doors, 147 windows, 28 fireplaces, 8 staircases, and 3 elevators. The White House kitchen is able to serve dinner to as many as 140 guests and hors d'oeuvres to more than a 1,000. The White House requires 570 gallons of paint to cover its outside surface. I have a question. Okay. Are they the only ones that live there? No. There's like a full staff of people. That live there as well? Well, I guess. They do like overnights and stuff. I don't know. Mm. Like they're never alone. Yeah, I know. But like. I don't, I don't know. It's such a big house. You it know what I'm saying? Like proper quarters. I don't know. I'm sure back in the day maybe. While Teddy Roosevelt lived there, he and his children had a lot of pets. Including, and I'm doing this, by the way, because I figured it was quite timely, you know, with the election and shit. And also, I had to include this because when Biden moves in, after that other sack of shit leaves. Dirtying up the White House like that. Yeah, with his fucking orange hands. Yeah, his fake tan. Anyway, Joe Biden's bringing his dogs back to the White House. And that's a big deal for a lot of people. There's going to be a dog in the White House again. I heard that all his dogs are actually like proper adopted, like rescues. I have no idea. I just saw him, a picture of him with a dog and I was like, that's my man. Um, apparently all the dogs prior that have lived there were all bought from breeders. Oh, probably. But... I didn't know that. Okay. Anyway, Teddy Roosevelt's pets, well, him and his kids' pets included guinea pigs named Admiral Dewey. Dr. Johnson, Bishop Dwayne, Fighting Bob Evans, and Father O'Grady. I love those names. Just wait. <laughs> Maud the Pig, Josiah the Badger, Eli Yale the Blue Macaw, Spreckle the Hen, a one-legged rooster, Peter the Rabbit, Algonquin the Pony, Emily Spinach the Snake, because it was green as spinach and thin as Aunt Emily, according to one of the children. <laughs> Bill the Lizard, a hyena, a barn owl, a small bear by the name of John Edwards, a ton of dogs, and apparently some horses too. So these these were all his pets. Him and his kids, yeah. So I when know. they moved in, they did they, they have like all these 
animal trailers that came with them while moving there. I mean, I, I don't know. Or yeah. I wonder if they were just accumulated while they were in office. You they, know? they could have been. There's uh, There was also stories, I think, of one of the president's kids. Uh, it could have been Roosevelt's. I don't know. They stopped off in the pet shop on the way home from school, bought four snakes, and interrupted a presidential meeting, like bursting into the room, going like, Dad, Dad, look what we got. And threw the snakes on the table. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and all the people who were there like just legged it. Anyway, th- there's more. I have more. Oh, that's like, amazing. Tell me more. So President Calvin Coolidge, which, by the way, I literally knew like maybe four American presidents mm-hmm. until yesterday or whatever day I researched this. So Calvin Coolidge had 13 dogs, three canaries named Nip, Tuck and Snowflake, Old Bill, the Thrush, Enoch the Goose, a Mockingbird, cats called Tiger and Blackie, Ebenezer the Donkey, Smokey the Bobcat, a Wallaby, Billy the Pygmy Hippo, a Black Bear, two Lion Cubs called Tax Reduction and Budget Bureau, given (laughs) to him by the Mayor of Johannesburg. The thing with the Lions, why he named them that, he was making a statement to his... uh, I don't know whoever, but he would feed the lions the exact same thing every day separately so as they would grow at the same size. So he would say, you can't have like tax reduction without having a big budget bureau or whatever. He was making a statement, basically. But yeah, they were pets. Or sorry, they were gifts from the mayor of Johannesburg. He had two raccoons, right? Rebecca and Reuben. I love that. You want a raccoon. Yeah, I do. Especially after reading this. <laughs> Rebecca. <laughs> it, it gets a little bit sad at the end here. Just oh. a word of warning. But Rebecca was actually brought to the White House from Mississippi in 1926. She was to be served for Thanksgiving dinner. But the Coolidge's decided to keep her as a pet instead. That Christmas, she was given an embroidered collar with the title White House Raccoon. Oh, <laughs> She had free roam of the house, but they had to keep an eye on her because she was known to unscrew light bulbs, open cabinets, and unpot the house plants. That's amazing. (laughs) She sounds like a handful. Yeah. um, She unscrewed light bulbs. Yeah, she was a clever little raccoon. (laughs) She partook in the annual White House Easter egg roll with the children, which was just like they would go out on the garden on a little slope and just roll eggs down the grass. She ate shrimp, persimmons, is that how you say that? I guess. And eggs. Uh, eggs were her favorite, apparently. Her favorite activity was to get in the bath with a little bit of water and a bar of soap, which would keep her occupied for up to an hour. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, so what's up with Ruben? He was just, I guess he was just not very, as, not as bright as Rebecca. No, so um, they only got Ruben after they got Rebecca, just to keep her Give her some company, hmm. basically, because um, although she had free reign in the house, she had to be fucking monitored every second she was in there <laughs> because she was a nightmare. That's funny. So they actually built her like a nice little house outside and they had like a cage around it and stuff so she wouldn't escape because when she was outside, they would keep her on the leash or whatever. So, OK, yeah, here yeah, I do have it here. They took her on vacation with them, built her a little house in the garden. And even got her a little friend, Reuben, to keep her company. But when they were preparing to leave the White House for good, because obviously like once their presidency is up, they leave, they donated her to a zoo in D.C. where she died shortly after because she was unable to adapt to zoo life. 
Oh my god. Heartbreaking. That's so fucked up. And like that vacation that they took her on was like an 1800 mile round trip. Like why didn't they just bring her home? Yeah. Bastards. Ah, oh, poor Rebecca. It's like you yeah. give her the world and then you just lock her up like that. Yeah, and of course she's not going to adapt. Like she's been raised eating fucking shrimp and... Fucking eggs. Yeah, you know. Persimmons. Yeah, whatever they are. I think they're like some kind of berry. Are they flowers? Or fruit? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Is it <laughs> some kind of melon? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, there were only 10 registered deaths in the White House. And they're all like either presidents, first ladies or immediate family members. But the building was built by slaves and had God knows how many staff over the years, like both slaves and otherwise. So I'm sure there's been like a lot more than just those 10 deaths, like even during the construction, I'm sure, you know, naturally a place as old and famous and busy as the White House would have a few ghost stories. And even in recent years, as the Obamas occupied the building, they reported hearing strange noises and felt like something was chewing at their feet. Some psychic or another uh, seems to think that that's actually some of the pets of past presidents. Oh. Yeah. When the White House was set on fire in 1814, um, it was the British soldiers that did it. And as recently as the Truman administration, which was 1945 to 1953, a soldier has been seen trying to set a bed on fire in one of the rooms. Margaret Truman, daughter of President Harry Truman, was convinced the place was haunted. She constantly heard knocking and curtains moving, etc. And that seems to be like quite a common thing. The knocks on the doors, like not just random knocks. And the curtains, like I'm sure they're big, heavy fucking curtains, just like moving as if somebody's moving them. Anyway, one night as a dare, she slept in the Lincoln bedroom. But when her dad found out what was going on, he got one of the butlers to sneak in wearing a big tall top hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but apparently Truman himself was also convinced that the place was full of ghosts. He said he would hear people knocking on his door in the middle of the night, see the curtains moving, and even told his daughter in a letter, I'm sure they're here. I won't lock my doors or bar them if any of the old coots in the pictures want to come out of their frames for a friendly chat. But this seems to be like an ongoing sentiment with the presidents who live there. It's like, if the place is haunted, that's fine. Maybe they'll give me some advice. <laughs> Literally. Uh, Jenna Bush, daughter of George W., woke up in the middle of the night hearing loud 1920s opera music coming from her fireplace. She said she could feel it. So I don't know whether like that's how loud it was or like her fucking bed was vibrating i don't know so she ran into her sister's room barbara jr i guess uh to sleep in with her for the night and babs didn't believe her so the next night they both slept in jenna's room only to hear it again both of them apparently ear splittingly loud so they stayed awake all morning and as soon as the sun came up like they left their room but when they went and they were talking to the white house staff and the staff said like yeah that happens all the fucking time in that room and i also think that the staff are maybe told you know don't speak of this because they generally don't unless approached that seems to be the well they they have all those other rooms to choose from 
to sleep in, I guess. So it's fine. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how it works. Like, if you move into a place that size, do you pick, like, four rooms all next to each other for, like, the family to stay? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or do you try and, like, oh, no, I'm going to sleep over in this corner. And But anyway. Yeah. There is an unidentified spirit of a boy around 14 or 15 years old. He was just known as the thing. I'd hate to be known as a thing. Yeah. But I think that this young boy has actually been like misconstrued from the other older stories. And over time, it has just like grown into two separate stories. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Miss Marsh, uh, who was the personal maid of Helen Taft, described seeing a young boy with unkempt hair and sad blue eyes. President Thomas Jefferson is said to play the violin in the Yellow Oval Room. Apparently people still hear just random. I don't know whether it would be like old country fiddle music Mm. or, you know, nice violin music. Yeah. Uh, I also don't know how they know that it's him. You know? Maybe he's the only one that knows how to play. Like the only president. Maybe. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe was he the music that although or maybe he says his name before he starts playing <laughs> i thomas jefferson <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember that <laughs> that's playing um <laughs> abigail adams wife of the second president who were the first ones to actually live there used to do her laundry in the east room because it was the warmest and driest room in the house apparently which makes me think how much of a shithole was the White House when they first moved in if they were like, ah, this room has no water in it. <laughs> but anyway, she would wash her clothes and uh, like use lavender or something like that. I don't know. I still barely know how to wash my clothes now. So in the 1800s, I'm sure it was a totally different fucking... Different ball game. Yeah. But staff still say to this day that they will randomly smell like wet laundry and lavender in the room. Oh, yum. Yeah, and apparently she has been seen, I think only once, but whatever, um, walking towards the room with her arms outstretched as if she's carrying laundry, mm. but you can't see the laundry. So she's That's just scary. like, yeah, just walking like a, like a zombie. Yeah. Like, can I just say how much I love the smell of powder, like powder. detergent? Okay. I love it so much. Especially the one that comes in a bag. It's a white bag that says foca. Foca? <laughs> no. It says foca. That that means a uh, seal in Spanish. I don't know why they call it. Oh, because there, I don't know if it's because there's a picture of a seal on the bag or they put a picture of a seal on the bag because it's called foca i don't know what came first the chicken or the egg but it smells delicious and i want to eat it but so i know why I shouldn't. don't we use it then because it's it's not a good detergent <laughs> oh okay <laughs> right well anyway it gets your clothes all stiff nice yeah so remember mr burns who i told you about the original lando well not the original landowner but the white man who owned the land that they bought it. Yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> this is the lamest ghost I've ever heard in my fucking life. Oh, God. He is supposedly heard saying, I'm Mr. Burns. Yeah, I'm Mr. Burns. 
right? So <laughs> some of the articles have it like, I'm Mr. Burns. But in my head, it's just like, I'm Mr. Burns. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, that's what I'm telling you. I think that's how they know the violin player. Yeah. Maybe they just, these yeah. ghosts like announcing themselves. Yeah. So according to FDR's valet, personal valet, uh, he heard this voice also in the yellow oval room where they hear Thomas Jefferson play the fiddle. And a guard during the Truman administration <laughs> heard him also say, I'm Mr. Burns. And at that time thought that it was then Secretary of State James Burns and went looking for him. <laughs> like In my head, again, this man just sounds very melancholy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, God, are you OK, bored. James? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it turns out the Secretary of State wasn't actually there that day. So, uh. ooh. <laughs> go, 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 go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andrew Jackson has been heard stomping around and swearing through the halls again. Yeah, he seems like the type. <laughs> Do you think he's crazy here? <laughs> no, I don't know oh, what any of these people look like. Oh. <laughs> um, anyways, well, I, again, don't know how they can tell it was him, but this started way back when. Apparently, Jackson's old bedroom, uh, the Rose Room, it's called. The, a lot of the rooms are just named after the colors that they once were, apparently. Um, anyway, it seems that that's supposed to be one of the most actively haunted rooms. Somewhere between 1915 and 1921, First Lady Edith Wilson asked two of the gardeners to move the Rose Garden, which Dolly Madison, wife of President James Madison, had created and nurtured, apparently. So the gardeners were like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they went down to start their work and actually saw the ghost of Dolly Madison very angry in the Rose Garden. The Rose Garden is still there to this day. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, fuck you guys. You're not moving my fucking flowers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you tell them, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one is the ghost of Anna Surratt. I think that's how you say it. Uh, she was the daughter of Mary Surratt, who was convicted Lincoln assassination co-conspirator. Mm. So all Mary actually did, basically she owned a boarding house in downtown Washington, which is still there to this day, apparently. But this boarding house was actually used as a meeting place for Lincoln's killer, John Wilkes Booth, and the other conspirators. Her actual involvement is still up for debate. Either way, she was sentenced to be hanged and her daughter, Anna, went to the White House to plead her innocence. So literally in the middle of the night, this girl, Anna, went. She was banging on the front door of the White House. And legend has it, she can still be seen banging on the doors to the White House, pleading for the release of her mother. But I thought what was particularly freaky about this is some people see her, but they don't hear her. So she's a full on like banging and shouting at the door no noise whereas other people have just heard the banging and not seen anything i'd prefer to see her than to hear the banging i feel like that would be more jarring yeah i don't know just fuck off either way yeah i guess right <laughs> so the most famous specter have you got any guesses is it a foot no i thought this was like well, it is quite popular. Like, I already knew about this. Anyway. 
No ghost foot. Abe Lincoln. Oh, okay. I don't know why. I, I, why did I think? Why did I think foot? I don't know. So, Susan Ford, daughter of President Gerald Ford. And also, I noticed while I was doing this, a lot of the daughters of presidents, pre- the daughters of presidents have had encounters in the White House. Susan Ford, daughter of President Gerald Ford in the mid-70s, ran into old honest Abe standing by the fireplace in the Lincoln bedroom. She was terrified and wouldn't go back in the room until the last night of her father's presidency. Susan and a friend slept in the room, hoping to see Mr. Lincoln again. But this time, they awoke to the First Lady, Elizabeth Ford, dressed in a white sheet, reciting the Gettysburg Address. So, four score and seven years ago. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, but it was just their mom. Um, Ronald Reagan's daughter and her husband woke up one morning in the Lincoln room to see... um, Oh, this is actually a quote from Reagan. To a figure standing at the window looking out, she could see the trees right through it. Again, it turned and disappeared. And apparently her and her husband had seen them separately and together. So, like, he's super fucking common. Also, uh, one of the Reagan's dogs refused to enter the room and would just bark at the door. He would also just randomly bark at the ceiling sometimes. That's weird. Yeah. FDR's valet, the guy who also heard the, I'm Mr. Burns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he supposedly ran screaming from the White House after seeing Lincoln. Whoa. Yeah, so I don't know <laughs> whether that was confused with the Mr. Burns thing or whether both things just happened to this guy. And he was like, I've had enough. <laughs> In 1942, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands awoke to a knock at the door. She got up, opened the door. And there was Abe Lincoln. Cool. Yeah. Apparently she fainted on the spot. Damn. <laughs> she dipped out of yeah. her body. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mary Eben, Eleanor Roosevelt's, Eleanor Roosevelt's secretary, saw Lincoln sitting on a bed in the northwest bedroom, pulling on his boots in a rush. Like, I'm late. I'm so very late. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, President Eisenhower himself said that he was walking down the corridor and he saw Lincoln, like, by the sounds of it, he just appeared, but, like, full-blown, like, strutting towards him on this corridor. Jesus. Yeah, and I don't know whether he just, like, disappeared or walked past him or what, but this is how he saw him. Mm. Uh, As recently as the early 80s, he has been seen hanging around. According to Tony Savoy, uh, White House operations foreman at the time, he was working on the second floor when he came across Lincoln sitting in a chair, hands folded, legs crossed, looking dapper as fuck in a pinstripe suit. Nice. Yeah. Tony blinked and he was gone. Damn. Wish he bet. Oh, I bet he wish he didn't blink. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my favorite Lincoln sighting and probably the most popular, I'm sure everybody's heard it, I haven't. Uh, except for you. <laughs> <laughs> Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember, because I was reading that book about Churchill, which I'm only halfway through. Yeah. But the man just loves a bath. 
Oh yeah, that's that, that's what I was gonna say. Like I can't remember if he hates baths or he loves them. <laughs> it's one of the two, one extremity. Yeah, he was like he had the strangest habits. Like he would like. I, I bet he smelled like a bar of Dove soap or something. And cigars and alcohol. But yeah, maybe like, he smelled like Foca. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he would stay awake, like mad late, get up early, and have like his secretary in his bedroom with him and he'd be lying there in the nude and this young lady would be like taking notes and answering uh stuff like and then he would like go back to sleep oh so like he would day. dry off in like, the nude or i think something? he just him being nude was as comfortable as him being clothed okay that's the impression i get from this guy that's weird yeah even though um i'm sure he just looked like a wrinkly egg with legs mm. anyway he was having a bath in the Lincoln room. I bet he was pink. Probably. According to the man himself, he had just gotten out of the bath with nothing on but a cigar. When he came across Lincoln standing at the fireplace in his room, he reportedly, he reportedly said, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> That's awesome. <Yeah. laughs> well, dis- I mean... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he um, only has a cigar to defend himself with. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, again, I knew nothing about American presidents. And I was reading about Lincoln. Yes, because every time I would read a story, I would try and find it in different articles. Like, Did he say that if Lincoln ever responded? I think he just disappeared again. That mm. seems to be his thing, you know? Yeah. It's just a bit of a creep. Yeah. <laughs> just like us. Um, But Lincoln's life, see, just... I heard on last podcast on the left, apparently he wouldn't travel with a knife in case he would ki- kill himself. He didn't trust himself not to commit suicide. That's how depressed Lincoln was. That's fucking insane. Yeah. And I almost don't blame him. Like, he had four sons. Three of them died. Right. Um, and then the one who didn't like live a, a long, healthy life, but that's a lot of trauma, though. Yeah, like, oh, uh, like. I horrific. mean, if he loved his kids. Yeah, and he really did, Aww. and apparently they were little shitheads, and he just let them away with fucking murder. Like, he'd like, be in important meetings and stuff, uh-huh. and yeah, he had two that were really close in age. I don't know about to talk about them now, but they would be like pulling books off shelves, <laughs> like just being dickheads being boys yeah and he'd just be like in this meeting carrying on as if they weren't even there like that's funny (laughs) yeah so william wallace lincoln him and his younger brother tad they were the two little shits that lincoln let them away with murder but they both became ill while living in the white house it's assumed that they got typhoid fever in early 1862 and unfortunately Willie died because of the sickness. The other kid pulled through, but like he was still like close to death. But anyway, it broke their mother's heart like completely. She didn't leave her bed for like three weeks. Didn't attend the funeral. Nothing. Couldn't look after the other kid like she was just heartbroken. So Abe Lincoln managed to like keep himself busy caring for Tad, who was still unwell and stuff like that. But... This being the age of spiritualism, much like today, 
Mrs. Lincoln turned to seances to try and get in touch with her son. Now, I don't know. It seems like she was just a fan of seances or spirit circles, as they were calling them back then. So I don't know if this started only after the son was dead or whether she had already been doing it. But either way, it turns out the White House has been used, has had seances in it for years. So portals have been opened. I mean, probably. But there's nothing like mad scary about the place either, you know? I mean, it's a big ass place. True. There's probably like a scary ass corner somewhere in there. Yeah, maybe. And Lincoln himself actually attended at least one or two of these um, seances where they would have like, you know, guest mediums or they'd just use a Ouija board or whatever. That's crazy, man. They also call these seances calls to the dead. Sick. Yeah, so they're making a call to the dead. Mrs. Lincoln told friends that Willie would come and stand at the end of her bed every night. Yeah. But, like, it seemed to be some sort of comfort to her, you know, that she would still see her dead son. Yeah. I wouldn't. I I, (laughs) I would be freaked the fuck out. Uh, According to the staff during the Grant administration in the mid-1870s, they would spot Willie all throughout the house. And one member of staff actually said that he had a conversation with him. What? Yeah. Now, I don't know what was said or anything like that, but he seems to be a really active little ghost. While Taft was in office in between 1909 and 1913, the staff were upset with all the activity. So, Major Archibald Willingham Butt, (laughs) Major Butt, (laughs) (laughs) overheard them talking amongst themselves. And when he brought it up to the president, President Taft, he lost his shit and said he would fire anyone who talked about ghosts. Anyone who went to the media, immediately fired. Whoa. Yeah. But so, was kind of a but. No, no, no. This was Taft. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, when he calmed down, Major Butt asked him, like, what the fuck is that all about? And it turns out, like, Taft already knew all these stories. And I don't know whether he was denying it or, like, didn't want to seem like a lunatic, especially back then. But they actually went and spoke to the staff about it um, just to find out a little bit more. And a lot of them said that they they felt it more than anything else. But this present presence lingering over their shoulders as if, you know, only when they were on their own, as if this person was trying to, like, just look in, see what they were doing. And occasionally they would actually feel, like, someone's hand on their shoulder as if, like, oh, let me in there. <laughs> um, Nosy. Yeah. The general consensus seems to be that it was, like, young Willie Lincoln. But this is where it kind of overlapped with the the thing, you know, that like other little boy or whatever. But as well, I think it's a lot friendlier to say, oh, no, no, it's just, you know, young Lincoln boy. During the 1950s, the young daughter of a Belgian ambassador was seen playing peekaboo with nobody. When her parents asked her what she was doing, she said she was playing with the little boy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Naturally, there were no other children to be seen. Later, during a tour of the Smithsonian, she pointed to a picture and said, oh, look, that's the little boy I was playing with. Oh, my God. Yeah. When her parents looked at the picture, they saw it was a picture of Willie Lincoln. So apparently that was the last time that he was actually seen. Oh. 1950s. Yeah. There were reports of Linda Robb. She was the daughter of President Lyndon Johnson. 
um, seeing and speaking to Willie, but they have been debunked by her saying that somehow the media turned it into this story, whereas actually she was just really fascinated with the history of the White House while she was living there. And I guess like she had a lot of old books and shit like that. But she said, no, no, that never happened. <laughs> like she just knew all about it. And the last story that I have anyway, Sasha and Malia Obama used the White House ghost for some fun with friends as well. During a slumber party, uh, this is a quote, by the way, from an article, so not my words. As they ate late night snacks, Malia started telling her friends about the spooky presidents of the past and all these, you know, creepy ghost stories. And as the girls grew quieter and quieter, they heard a whisper. The ghost of George Washington. He told Malia how great a job her father was doing in office and how proud she should be of him. Just like the Ghostbusters and not afraid of no ghost, Sasha crept to the kitchen from where the whispers seemed to be coming. Crash, clang, kaboom. All the pots fell. As she turned the lights on, Sasha discovered the source of both the clanging and the whispering. There was her dad, Barack Obama. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, playing a prank on all these kids. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was pretty, there was actually like a ton of uh, other little stories as well, but it was kind of, you know, how many times do you want to talk about thinking being a shadow and stuff? But yeah, like it seemed, the Obamas did say, you know, no, it is an old ass house and yeah, they they were still getting these random fucking knocks on the door in the middle of the night and stuff like that. So it just seems like, as well, when I was reading about like the building and stuff, it looks like a cool place to go and do a tour of. Well, they have tours there, but I, I they probably don't do them right now. I wouldn't want to go at this minute anyway. Yeah. But that was, that was a really nice change of pace of what we normally talk about, especially like dads playing pranks on their kids and just like, you know, yeah. just being good father figures. So hopefully uh, we'll That's find out like. from President Joe Biden if the place is still haunted. Yeah. You know, like he's so old that the ghosts might think that he's one of them anyway. Oh, you know? that's <laughs> so mean. <laughs> so mean. Right. Well, you know what time it is. Listener story. Listen to story time. I'm going to buy a bass guitar so I can do a little... Oh, you should. That'd be really cool. Anyway, this one is from our friend Lexi. Uh, she's she's a really good friend of the show. Yeah. So her Instagram handle is OctoberAllYear underscore. And for Halloween... Hello, Lexi. Yo, what's up? So she actually has OctoberAllYear.com is her website. Nice. And she does... like She's a blog, I guess. A blogger? A blogger. Sounded Irish there. She's a blogger. Okay. <laughs> but she actually did like a countdown of um I'm just it's the final it. countdown. Oh yeah, so anyway, she did like the ten most haunted cities in the US. Mm, okay. Um, but like these are also places that she's gone to and she had her own experiences in and stuff like oh, that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and she released them like over the Halloween period and stuff like that so mm -hmm. if you want like go on to her instagram because she has loads of cool pictures obviously 
but she also just does like haunted histories i'm just looking more at her website here now and uh like she breaks them down by state as well so she has like oh, there's just there's tons of good information on there we'll probably be stealing some stuff from her <laughs> and this is a story that she sent to me and it's from one of her um one of those posts that she made so i'm just gonna read it oh wait no it's your turn to read it oh i'll try to read this story real pretty like back in 2015 my husband and i were visiting plymouth and we decided to do a ghost tour the tour starts in their cemetery burial hill which is the oldest one in town like this is where the pilgrims are buried. 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 Shut up. So we're walking through the cemetery, hearing different ghost stories. And then they tell us a story that happened in 1778. There was a shipwreck out in the harbor. But the water was frozen, so the locals couldn't go help. By the time they got there... Over 70 of the sailors had frozen to death, some still holding on to each other for warmth, some holding on to the ship. They were buried in a mass grave up here in the cemetery. Our guide told us that there is a spirit they think is one of the sailors that walks around the cemetery at night because you can hear their wet boots squeaking. I fell back from the group, taking pictures because that's just how I am. But I was pretty much alone. I could still see the group, but no one was around. Definitely not behind me. And that's when I heard the boots. Bum, I, bum, bum. <laughs> I turn around and no one is there. I was going to take a picture, but my phone was dead. Then I heard the boots again. So I run up to my husband. We were still dating at the time. And I'm like, super out of breath and he's like what's with you because he's a super skeptic and figured i just scared myself and i told him about the boots and about my phone and gave it to him to try to turn on and he couldn't it wouldn't turn on again until we left the cemetery and i had like 80 percent battery it was also a new phone because that was the year I graduated college slash moved out. So I got my new phone plan and got a new phone. Much creepier than my New Orleans experience. Whoa. I want to hear about that too. Again, her uh, Instagram handle is October all year underscore. And she has lots of Halloween-y type pictures. And yeah, like that. Not just pictures, like actually interesting little articles and stuff like that yeah so before we go i do want to make an apology from last week's episode i got it wrong our listener stories last week was from the windsor essex area of ontario canada not england and i should have known because i had actually spoken to that listener on instagram but she emailed me the story so i thought it was two separate people so, Caitlin, we're sorry. And that story about the Italian ex-house people. 
is from Canada. Okay. Yeah, that is all. All right. All right. Thank you for that story. It was really cool. Yeah, very cool. And again, everybody, send us all your stories to weeklycreep at gmail.com or any social media platform at just weeklycreep. And if you don't send it to us, we'll come and get you. Yeah. We're coming for you. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, oh, and again, Apple Podcasts, please uh, rate, subscribe, review, do whatever the fuck it tells you to do. Um, Max, our cat, is really ugly when he sleeps. Okay. All right. That's all. All right. See you guys <laughs> next week. Okay, bye. Bye.